You're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast, Grim Dark Gaming, with Chris Barasa and Tyler Sigmund of Red Hook Studios, creators of Darkest Dungeon. Our guests today are the founders of Red Hook Studios, Inc., a gaming company based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Chris Barasa is best known as a top-tier creative director, art director, and concept artist with key involvement in the acclaimed animated TV series reboot Max Steel, IDOS's Monster Lab franchise, and Disney's ill-fated but beautiful Pirates of the Caribbean, The Doomed Armada. Tyler Sigmund has designed or executive produced over 15 published video games and board games, including the award-winning game Horde, Age of Empires, The Age of Kings DS, and Crows. Tyler has an MBA and a BSc in aeronautical engineering. Together, they successfully kickstarted their flagship game, Darkest Dungeon, funding $313,000 on a $75,000 goal, now playable on Steam and Goodle Games, and easily one of the grim, darkest, and badass dungeon crawler games around. Chris and Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Good to be here. So let's talk Darkest Dungeon. For those who are woefully unfamiliar with the awesomeness of this game, go ahead and and just tell us a bit about it. Uh, Well, it's a... It's a dungeon crawler that focuses on the um, the psychological sort of toll that, that that lifestyle would take, and it's liberally peppered with uh, H.P. Lovecraft influences and um, sort of a, a Mike Mignola graphic novel kind of vibe wrapped around the outside. You guys utilized uh, Kickstarter pretty heavily and kicked ass on the campaign, basically quadrupling your goal of $75,000. Go ahead and walk us through your experience of, of crowdfunding this game. Well, it's a ride. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty exciting. It's, it's a kind of cool time to be developing games when just the combination of crowdfunding and and digital distribution are are just, I don't know, it it really makes it a heyday for being an independent developer right now because you can take an idea basically right to the people (laughs) and, uh, you know, without having to necessarily sell it to a publisher first. And so Kickstarter was really fun. We spent, we spent a lot of time preparing. I mean, we were, we definitely benefited from being able to watch a lot of other campaigns and try to figure out maybe what, what works and what doesn't. And, um, yeah, it was, a bi- it was a big part of our strategy because we kind of bootstrapped everything ourselves, just living off the of savings and, uh, you know, tried to put together a campaign. And for us, it was like also a big test of does this idea resonate with other people? And, you know, we're excited about it. But if we can't put together enough cool stuff that get other people excited about it, too, then that would be like a pretty big sign that maybe we're, we're working on the wrong thing. What do you think uh, attributed to its success on Kickstarter? Was it the art design or the concept of the game? What, which aspect do you think uh, appealed to the Kickstarter people <laughs> the most? I don't know. It's kind of hard to, uh, to pull it out and, and rank the appeal. I know that we, we really took a lot of time leading up to the campaign. Uh, we released a trailer and then started collecting um, mailing lists, essentially, in you know the five or six months before we, we put the Kickstarter campaign live. And um, the reason I bring that up is because it was really helpful to have a group of 1,500, you know, sort of very, very early adopters standing by. Um, I think that really helped the Kickstarter campaign fund very quickly. Um, So having those people already excited, already kind of, you know, thinking about becoming more engaged with with the game and the the world, um, having them standing by ready for action, you know, the minute the Kickstarter launched definitely helped the Kickstarter succeed, which generates more and more hype and and interest. Um, the art, I think, you know, works well. I always feel a little awkward talking about it cause I, cause I did it. So, um, <laughs> but I, th- I think it has, you know, objectively speaking, it has some curb appeal and, and 
you can recognize it, which is which is a great you know boon on on Kickstarter because there's a lot of projects going on. Yeah, the art is beautiful, man. I went to your your DV and art page. I'm like, this dude can draw. You got you got skills. No, the the design and just everything is just impeccable from the color to the uh, characters to the backgrounds to the everything that Darkest Dungeon has going on. So many praises. And you guys have just a, a crack team of, of professionals that you had to help you design this game. Tell us a little bit about uh, the team that you have. Yeah, we assembled, uh, we assembled a highly trained group of specialists. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's actually true. I mean, we, you know, Chris and I kicked things off and then we, we kind of, you know, went into our personal networks to try to find um, people that we had worked with in the past that, that were really good that, that you know um but it was kind of a challenge because not only are you looking for people that are talented and you know that you can kind of vouch for but you know you're also it's kind of a hard sell at first because we basically had to say hey you want to come along on this ride um we don't really have funding yet and um you know very high risk this thing it's (laughs) what's that it's a new company very high risk yeah, so you want to take on a huge amount of risk and and just go for this ride, and not everybody is up for that. You know, there's there was a number of people that you know we um, were great people that we say worked with in the past that had studio jobs and were kind of you know staring at that regular paycheck, going mm, no. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, we we fortunately we we put together some a great team. I mean, the the core team that did most of the development is you know Chris and I. Um, Brooks Gordon, who's our animator um, that Chris had worked with in the past. Kier Myron is a programmer. Pierre Tardif, another programmer. And uh, that was like the, the, the core. Yeah, and then we worked with uh, Power Up Audio to do our, our sound effects. Um, and then, of course, you know, Wayne, Wayne June for narration and, and Stuart Chatwood for the, for the music. But we always talked about building the team almost like a heist. Like, we'd get the team of people that we knew, that we knew could handle a little bit of pressure, that were, you know, good in a jam. And then, uh, you know, we'd all sort of come together to make the game and and then um figure figure out the the rest of it later (laughs) yeah i mean one one difference about this which i don't know i I think is interesting is that we really we were thinking more like the film model like let's get the right cast and crew together and and shoot this movie as opposed to a lot a lot of studios are kind of like let's form a game studio and then let's figure out what to make and then what to make next what to make let's let's take on service work to keep our studio alive while we sort of quietly hobby and ip and yeah and in this case it was really like we're making darkest dungeon we don't really you know at that time we didn't really have a grander plan than that because let's face it it really comes down to you know if that game can't succeed then you know and we're living off of our savings and some crowdfunding then it's going to be hard to do the next one so it was really everything focused on making that game so let's talk about the game a little bit um uh, one thing that it's noted for is uh being brutally difficult which seems to be something that uh, a lot of gamers are really interested in now where you know games used to be very uh, hardcore like a ninja gaiden or something like that where you would just die over and over again or battle toads yeah uh, yeah uh, that racing have... level on battle toads almost made me get into hard drugs very young yeah yeah <laughs> fuck that level I hate that, that level was fucking terrible dude so so you have games like dark souls or bloodborne and, and now darkest dungeon but why do you think gamers have clamored towards these more challenging games these days instead of just basic shoot 'em ups or games that kind of hold your hand through the game. I think people have been playing too many mobile games that give you kudos for every single thing you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it it's been it's interesting to see trends swing around, but yeah, when we were growing up, you know, games were 
they kicked you in the nuts. They didn't really, they didn't apologize, <laughs> you know, and, and that was part of like the game experience was trying to like figure out how to make your way through it, you know, go back and play Castlevania. I mean, it, it's pretty tough. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's been a response. Like for a while, games sort of coddled you, um, you know, and, and there were good reasons for that too. But I think people have been craving challenges again, you know, and want to kind of set themselves up against, yeah, like an objective and, and kind of, not be coddled, but you know, w- w- when you when you are able to be victorious against something that's pretty hard, then there's a good sense of accomplishment in it. I mean, I can't I can't count how many times I've been playing Darkest Dungeon and I've gone shit or fuck or whatever. I haven't thrown my computer yet, but um, uh, it's it's a, it's a bit of a rage simulator sometimes. <laughs> I mean, we talked about it a lot in the terms of of poker, where you know you can you can play well over the long term and and see consistent wins but there's always going to be some things that sort of happen that are outside of your control and mm. and and how you respond to those is actually what makes the difference between a successful player and an unsuccessful one and you know if you get flustered or if you go on tilt you start making bad decisions um so it's nice to see that some of that dna has crept into into the game it wasn't that we set out to make a hard game it's that we set out to make a game that would like capture the idea of what it would be like to be an adventurer. And it's a pretty terrible occupation <laughs> when you really break it down. And I think so we knew, you know, we love RPGs and, you know, it just really came down to like, what makes this game different? Well, you know, there has to be the unforgiving, basically, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible occupation. You're, you're underground, you're running out of food and light and fighting horrible monsters and coming back to town to try to drown your sorrows with, you know, alcohol and vices and, but, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean hard until or, you know, be meaningful until like there's consequences to your actions. And so that's really what the game's about is like you, you don't go down there and adventure around and then come back and everything's just rosy or reload a save game every time something goes wrong. You know, it has to be there has to be the sense of like stress and loss. Yeah, that's one thing that, that I think definitely sets the game apart is that you, you go down into this dungeon and, and uh, you go to these different levels. You may come back with uh, claustrophobia or some other phobia, or you may come back like really good at exploring that certain section, like you may be good at exploring the ruins. So I like how it kind of randomly generates like whatever influence the mm-hmm. adventure has on your characters. And then you have to sort of deal with that and, and manage like, OK, do I send this guy back in and he takes the risk of going insane in the dungeon and fucking everything up? Or do I send in a new group that's weaker? So I like that kind of strategy that's involved with the game. Yeah, we wanted to sort of put you in a, in a hockey coach kind of position, <laughs> you know, where you have to make the best of a of an imperfect situation and you don't always have the ideal solution on hand. And, and like Tyler was saying, the, the consequences is the, is the big important thing so that your actions are, are permanent and, and the decisions and calls that you make are something that you have to live with, you know, later in your, in your save game, basically. Yeah. It's, it, it's cool. I think that, I think that that kind of came through and worked well. I think it leaves a mark, you know, it's, it's uh, you can have someone who, you know, is a very successful soldier or whatever, you know, go, crack shot, etc. but, you know, survivalist, etc. But then, you know, what, what other kind of things have you have you picked up in you know in in these kind of traumatic adventures? So maybe so, syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Maybe syphilis. Maybe you picked maybe that syphilis. up. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, it's it'll get you. It's always hanging around there. You know, and then that also makes it more complex. Like I, I think we love it when it's you've got your best hero who's also just loaded with ter- with bad quirks. We wanted to make sure that it wasn't always something where you you could have people be perfect. 
where, oh, you know, I've shaped this hero to be just perfect. So, you know, the longer they adventure, generally, then the more baggage they accrue as well. So they might be, you know, they might have all the upgrades and be your best fighter, but they're also just like littered with bad traits. <laughs> so it's not as simple as just getting rid of them, you know, or just keeping them. You're always, eh, is this person still useful? You know, and how far are you going to push that hero until they break? Yeah, and that's really one of the uh, resonating uh, aspects of grimdark as a fiction subgenre is gray characters, characters that are imperfect, that have flaws, and heroes that have flaws and whatnot. So I think that's mainly a, a, a big reason why Darkest Dungeon at least resonates with Philip and I, and 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 why we brought you on the show is it's just it really kind of represents kind of what we're about. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I think that a lot of games or and a lot of fiction or let's say um, you know they they love the idea of the antihero and they get the gravelly voice and the and the dark coat and the rest of it but they don't necessarily pay out in real applicable like let's say gameplay terms the sort of imperfect nature of the character whereas i think you know in in darkest dungeon that's really at the heart of the game where the gameplay is affected by their imperfections and their and their flaws and their and their weaknesses they're sort of like anti-heroes in practice as well as um you know on paper if that makes sense Mm -hmm. what games do you think kind of foreshadowed or paved the way for you guys for creating this this kind of different level of gaming where fear and darkness plays such a key aspect into the character's development in the game early on we talked a lot about like classic crpgs that we grew up loving and that that sort of tradition of these big games that learning how to play them was part of the fun figuring them out was sort of part of the entertainment value you know so for me like i the beholder was a big influence um you know more in modern terms i i I really like the the amnesia stuff. Obviously, XCOM is a, is an influence, but we didn't really look around and try and, and pull from these games so much as we were trying to mine our sort of conceptual space, you know. So we actually looked a lot of movies and you know things like Aliens when Hudson freaks out, you know. Tyler brings up Band of Brothers a lot um, for the same kinds of reasons. Um, so we're we're we cast a wider net as far as influences go um, than than just video games. Yeah, it felt like there was wasn't really a game that was doing what we were thinking about, and that was that was a big plus because uh, yeah. you know to consider making a game and put it out there, you you just want to have some sort of hook. I mean, it's impossible to. It's not so much like oh, you think you can always create something that's like absolutely new in every single way. It's just more that you want to know that hey, if we're releasing an RPG into you know a crowded landscape, there there should be at least something new about it. And yeah, it was definitely looking. The anecdotes, you know, that we pulled that were gaming related were more from, say, pen and paper gaming, you know, free form role playing where you can sit around the table and have all these crazy things happen. But that we didn't feel was represented so much in in a video game. I, d- I did have an experience playing the game um, where I accidentally applied something to an object that was some kind of eldritch or eldritch. I don't know how you pronounce Is it eldritch or eldritch? <laughs> eldritch. eldritch. Eldritch, okay. So Eldritch object, and then I was just warped to this like black and purple area with this big giant like <laughs> monster standing there, and I was like, "What the fuck?" So, th- so there's <laughs> stuff like that in the game that is awesome, like an awesome surprise, and you kind of figure these things out as you go. And the and the Lovecraftian vibe is definitely there, as you mentioned uh, before. As far as like enemies in the game, I know I know that experience for me, like I got party wiped, and I was like, shit. But for me, there are so many enemies in the game that are like such dicks. <laughs> that, there's a lot of assholes running around your old estate. It's true. Yeah. 
so Rob and I were talking about that before before recording, and uh, and I was thinking uh, I'm still early in the game, and so so I was thinking the Madman is probably my least favorite because he does that um, <laughs> accusation yeah. and and distresses you. So I actually I actually think the enemies that stress you are worse than the enemies that do physical damage to you. Is that a thing you thought about, like in designing the game, like? Uh, okay, there are going to be certain enemies that are heavy on stress damage, and there'll be others that are heavy on physical damage, and the combination of the two really fucks over your, your <laughs> different parties. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that's exactly it. Is you've got these effectively two health bars to worry about, and you know, it's it's hopefully a little more nuanced than that in terms of like, you know, if your stress bar fills, you don't instantly die. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of challenges we wanted to set up. So we think of it in terms of like, you know, the madman or the uh, skeleton courtier, they're, they're basically stress archers. Or, and then there's, you know, kind of stress melee guys. And, um, and that is to keep you yeah it's it's to represent that that's that's that that's a concern you know your heroes might be in perfect physical condition but they've just seen so much craziness that they become afflicted and then start you know becoming dysfunctional and now you've got this party of of dysfunctional heroes you're you're trying to keep together and so in order to mechanically make that happen yeah we definitely had to think about like okay what each monster for example we would we would think about what what is their role you know are they Frontline, backline, middle, middle of the party, are they physical damage, stress damage, or a combination? You know, or do they do other things? Do they buff other monsters and try to, you know, make them more dangerous? And so all that kind of stuff. But I think, yeah, there's there's a real satisfaction to the monsters that are just stressors because they, you know, everybody, yeah, the madman and the, the scudded courtier, they, they just learn to hate them because... You know, you're sitting there and he throws his goblet on you and makes you stressed out and, you know, you scream at the screen. So it's like a good screaming, though. Like, it's not like I don't want to play this game anymore. It's like I want to kill these guys next time I see them. Like, it's, it's been it inspires both. you. We've been on the receiving end of both kinds of screams. Uh, I've, I've seen a, a few people rage quit on, on Twitch, you know. Um, I, I think it's part of it. I, I, I think like if we if we worried too much about like paring back the stress on the player and and those things, I think that we would lose some of what I consider to be the charm of the game. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's kind of got to walk that line. It's certainly not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I think a little bit of player salt is part of the recipe. Yeah, keep we want things lively and keeps you on your toes. We want you to bond with your heroes and feel invested and in, and with the kind of harsh consequences, the auto-saving and all that, you know, every everything matters. So that's, it means a lot if your person is about to get afflicted and then, yeah, the madman shows up and you're like, oh, no. Or, you know, yeah. sometimes you'll be sitting there and say, oh, you know, a couple more rooms and I know we're really close to freaking out, but we're going to make it, you know, and then, ta-da. <laughs> yeah, the number of times I've, I've seen people, like, blame the game and by extension us um, <laughs> for, for being, like, full of shit. <laughs> because they decided to keep adventuring and then they got ambushed by like a really bad group of monsters or whatever and then you know started to lose guys and they're like fuck it it's so it's bullshit <laughs> and i'm sitting there i'm going like i don't know in this particular case i don't know i'm kind of siding with the game and, and then i've seen other times where it's like you know sometimes you just get a bad beat and a few systems sort of like yeah. you know convene together and conspire to to put you into like almost an, an unwinnable situation for that moment. And it's unfortunate, but like it kind of harkens back to that poker analogy that the skilled player will recognize when things have sort of cornered them and, and try to minimize the damage to their playthrough as opposed to getting really, really worked up about exactly what's happening on screen that moment. And I think there's an interesting tension there where 
you're invested in your heroes, you've outfitted them, upgraded them, treated them, and you want them to survive and live. But you also have to keep your eye on the metagame, which is, you know, moving your town forward, recruiting new guys, and ultimately, you know, cleaning out the the, the darkest dungeon environments. So I, I like that duality of focus where you have to almost be, you know, very, very thoughtful and, and loving towards your little dudes, but then you have to also be suddenly merciless and and recognize when something's a lost cause or this guy's too expensive to, you know, rehabilitate. Um, and, and I like that that sort of ping ponging back and forth um, for in the player's mind that, that can happen. Yeah, I do like that you can kind of have characters that you kind of fall in love with, and then you have like I had a character that got the abusive quirk, like when mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. mentally break, and like the whole the whole rest of the dungeon, she was like just talking got, shit. Yeah, you guys suck, or like <laughs> like what are you guys doing? Like give me give me everything, or like just screaming at him. And I love that that dynamic where you have like the characters that you like, and then you have that one character that you're like, God, just I don't want you to die, but I kind of want you to die. Yeah, <laughs> you know, shut the fuck up. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, popping up those barks and stuff as you're going is, you know, some people click to clear them right away. Other people, you know, like to read the flavor text. But even the fact that they obscure, like that they occupy screen real estate starts to grind on players, making them feel almost like they're part of the party. And they're like, just stop spewing this filth. Like, we got a job to do. Yeah, it's like a bunch of, uh, you're adventuring with, you know, a bunch of friends or family gather around Thanksgiving, you know, (laughs) you know, and they start telling each other how they really feel about it. (laughs) But honestly, an inspiration too was just working as part of teams, you know, just look at your your work experience. And as you approach a deadline, everyone reacts differently. Some people just freak right out. Uh, We're never going to make it. There's too much work to do, (laughs) you know, and then other people are like, you know, that's the time that they shine. You know, we're going to get this done by Friday and we're going to save the company and, you know, whatever. And so, um, that's kind of like your, your little adventuring group. Some people seem really tough and then just crumble as soon as things get hard. And other times, you know, you, someone hits 100 stress and becomes virtuous is what we call it when they get, you know, uh, the temporary good state. Um, and that can like that can be a really exciting moment. You're fighting a boss and they turn virtuous and save the day. So that's, you know, for as much as the game's about all this despair, it's really about those moments of, of real heroism, too. Yeah, like contrast is something that we felt was maybe missing or, or ripe to be exploited. So the idea that, you know, heroism shines brightest when everything else around it is is falling apart because is, is important and a lot of the sort of more power fantasy games are just about escalating levels of awesomeness with no contrasting downside and so after a while it's like watching uh, man of steel like how many more high rises can you rip down in order to create a spectacle because i'm i'm desensitized like 40 minutes into the movie do you know what i mean so then let's talk about uh, violence for a moment. I think in light of games like Mortal Kombat 10, it seems like the bar is pretty much as high as it can go. I don't know if we if games could possibly get any more violent. Uh, definitely there's blood and violence and, and uh, disgusting things going on with Darkest Dungeon. Uh, what was your approach to violence in the game? And was there anything like too extreme that you guys had to cut out in the final uh, release? Well, the presentation is so graphic that, um, you know, I think we had pretty uh like a, a broad area to pull through there's some pretty disgusting stuff in there that i drew um especially as you head into the final areas it's like it's pretty gross um <laughs> the final boss is pretty gross it, it's it's all pretty heavy but i think you know sort of being rendered in that you know heavy black kind of cartoony style the the character proportions of foreheads high i think 
it sort of takes the edge off it and it's not immediately gross. But then when you kind of look at it, you're like, actually, this is really disgusting what's happening here. <laughs> That's just from like a character design standpoint. I it's think, not- I mean, I don't want to spoil the final boss attacks, but there's some pretty graphic, violent stuff that happens there. I guess it's weird. I, I don't think of the game as really like, especially compared to what you see now on yeah. the, the realistic shooters or hell TV. I mean, it's, it's all very comic book looking. I mean, when you attack, there's like kind of comic booky blood splatters, but it's just interesting. I've actually never really thought of the game as really truly violent. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. That's why I'm kind of struggling with the with the question a bit because I'm only now realizing that like. Yeah, like, I, I, the final boss, you know, one of his moves rips your adventurer's skin off. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's horrific and, and violent and really gross. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, Jesus, I can't believe we did that. <laughs> but then, you know, I just I just banged out the drawing, and it's this little skeleton dude with little muscles hanging off him. <laughs> and it just, at the you know, doing it at the time and, and even watching it in practice, I don't think it hits people as like a Hellraiser, you know, literally flaying a human body. I think it's just sort yeah. of accepted as as kind of just, it fits the family of, of assets that are in the game and you kind of just let it go. So I don't really feel like, for some reason, I don't really feel like it's that explicitly violent. But then in describing it, it's some of the worst shit ever. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, kind of like, you know, Deadpool uh, came out recently, real popular, uh, one's biggest R-rated movie of all time opening or something. <laughs> and the the violence in that movie is is very extreme, but it in that world that it sets up, it's very comic booky. It's not even though you you have spoiler alert, you have a guy basically splatter against a, a highway sign at the beginning of the movie. It's comical because of the the way it's set up. Mm-hmm. So I guess in within the world of Darkest Dungeon, you have that kind of comic book style. So it does kind of not make it as extreme as it sounds. Like ripping off someone's flesh is obviously very extreme. <laughs> or having a giant yeah. ma- having a giant maggot nibble on you is pretty extreme. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even the Swine Prince boss is just a giant misshapen pig with his guts spilling out everywhere. And it's it's really gross. I mean, let's be honest, it's it's gross, gross stuff. But yeah, I think just the wrapper and the consistency, you know, it just it kind of takes it as long as it works with itself and doesn't reflect or attempt to reflect actual reality and actual like live violence. I I feel like we've we've been in a bit of a safe place for that. Certainly, we didn't set out to make something extraordinarily violent. But we had to stay true to the thematic roots that we were pulling from. And, you know, if you want to be a horror game and you or be horror influenced and you want the stress on these heroes to feel somewhat plausible, you need to kind of do things you think would freak them out. What the hell is in that Bone Cordier's goblet? And why does he keep spilling it on me? <laughs> That's the stressful part. What is it? Yeah, exactly. It's that we... We pulled Tequila. that from like Fight Club, right? Where he's, you know, he's got the guy down in the in the basement. And he's bleeding all over him. He's like, you don't know where I've been, Lou. You know, <laughs> it's not knowing is like horror lives in in uncertain spaces, right? So not knowing is the horror. Yeah, if he was like, I'm gonna throw wine on you, you'd be like, what? yeah, but, it's just really old wine. Yeah, but if he's like, I'm throwing an unknown liquid at you, that then you're gonna have to wonder what's on you. That's that's terrifying. The unknown. I like it. Very cool. Man, Wayne June, that guy. Yeah. He can voice shit. talk. Yeah, he's a good talker. <laughs> we did a big promotion for the launch of the game where we did like, um, you know, working with, with Power Up, we did a whole bunch of, uh, of uh, streamer Twitter notifications or streamer like um, notifications for in their stream when people subscribe and people sort of, um, you know, follow them and, and all that kind of stuff. It was all custom and using the catchphrases for each of the stream and 
Wayne like recorded them all like a boss. I think there was something like 3,000 sound assets that went out. It was pretty cool. People are excited about that. But uh, he's amazing. I think he added a lot to the atmosphere of the game. Yeah, atmosphere is definitely uh, something that the game has. Uh, um, being an audio guy myself, uh, you know, the soundscape of Darkest Dungeon pretty much blows my mind. Could you maybe go into a little bit uh, into your approach on the sound design for the game? Uh, well, like I said, we worked with Power Up, um, and they're fantastic. They they handled pretty much all that, and we kind of gave them a you know a really long leash. Essentially, you know, we would talk about what each area had to be, and um, you know, then they would kind of just run with the ball. And they really enjoyed working because every every move sort of takes center stage. Like every move is a power move. Um, so they could really like amp up each of the different attack sound effects, and but we can't really take credit for their work. The best thing we did is partner with good people there. And, yeah, exactly. And and also, you know, we they were really excited about the project. I mean, their studio was was fairly new, and you know, they just showed so much enthusiasm from the beginning that we kind of did a bigger deal with them than we had originally been planning. And that was that was definitely one of the best decisions we made is kind of putting them in a position where they could just go crazy on the game. And they really did. So that's like um, Jeff Tangstock and Kevin Regami and then Joey Goddard. Um, and then their, their kind of network of, of people that that um, help. But I mean, yeah, it's just it was awesome because we didn't have to we didn't have to do anything really in terms of I mean, we provided, you know, feedback and of course, implementation. But those guys are pros. And yeah. it really paid off. I wasn't sure if you, if like a sound came back and you're like, can you make that squishing skull a little bit squishy? Not evenly, but very rarely. I mean, yeah. you know, Jeff, I, I power up, you know, is a huge horror fan too. And I think, you know, and a, and a big Dark Souls guy. And I think he just got, you know, what the game was, was about. And, and like Tyler said, they just ran with it. They did exceptional work crunched right alongside us and and so that was great so every now and then you know there'd be a little bit of feedback about the squishiness of a skull but you know <laughs> it, it was the exception for sure so i'm curious is is darkest dungeon continuing to expand because i saw recently you added a new class called the antiquarian is this is this class available now and are you continuing to expand with new classes or any new content to the game is it kind of an evolving thing or is the game kind of uh, locked in yeah, we're working on a, um, a patch now, actually. So the Antiquarian's not quite out. Um, she's targeted for March 8th. Okay. And uh, so, you know, depending on when the show releases, it, she may be out. Um, but, I mean, you know, we exited early access, but there was a few things that we had sort of promised as part of our Kickstarter campaign as stretch goals that we weren't able to get done in time for the January 19th release. So those those have been really important to us to uphold that those kind of promises um, so those are coming out in the way of free updates. You know, the Antiquarian is, is, was originally titled the Merchant Class, and um, that's an example. Town events are another. But, you know, in general, like, we, uh, we also just kind of want to expand the game with, um, we, you know, we've got some ideas for other updates, and we've talked about modding support via Steam Workshop. We've talked about some other things that we may do, and, you know, some of these might be free updates. You know, eventually we'd like to go the way of some DLC just because it's an RPG and it totally makes sense to add more content. But, you know, I think that's a benefit of working on an RPG, that sort of that sort of thing. And, and we've been fortunate enough to have, you know, a bunch of people buy the game. And so it's it's fun to do some of the free updates there, too, just to feel like we're providing more value and also doing a few gameplay tweaks based on 
um, you know, there's some content that we didn't add until final release, like the Darkest Dungeon itself. And so this has been, our, you know, our first chance to, to kind of get feedback and measure what people are doing and then make a few tweaks there. So that um, that's something that kind of we're working on as well as just to uh, to make a few gameplay adjustments. Um, so I would say, I mean, the game's mostly done, but, you know, we, we want to keep adding some things to it for sure. Yeah, we just got to put up the drywall in the basement and... <laughs> so as far as the game goes do you plan any kind of collaboration with twitch i know twitch is like a big part of uh, the darkest dungeon community is there any kind of uh, i understand you do this ancestral bestowment which allows wayne june to voice uh certain aspects of twitch uh for people that aren't familiar with twitch and your relationship with them. Could you talk about that a little bit? We don't actually have a relationship with Twitch as such. I mean, it's a very cool platform. And, you know, we, we worked with a group of streamers at Early Access Launch uh, called Main Menu just to provide some visibility for the game. And they just, you know, volunteered to do that, essentially. So we went back to them at launch with a paid promotion. But all of the streamer interest and, and uptake throughout the course of Early Access was just organic. And I think, you know, we inadvertently made a very stream-friendly game. It's turn-based you know, broadcasters can sort of take their time with it. They can, you know, take time to read their chat rooms and, and, and sort of do their, you know, perform in the way that their community expects. So they're not under a time pressure. They can name characters after their subscribers and their viewers, which kind of makes it more interactive with their chat rooms. So it was a stream friendly game for sure. And the highs and lows really, really play well. But I don't know, we don't really have a specific partnership or an agreement with Twitch so much as we just have a, you know, a community of broadcasters who've you know been streaming the game for the better part of a year. And it's been a fantastic like marketing tool for us and, and really just on a personal level, awesome to watch people play your game because that, that wasn't the case in, in the old days. You would just uh, submit your gold master and then wait for a month and a half for like the magazines to hopefully mention it. But you had no idea what it would be like for people to play through and, and endure and enjoy the experience. So that's been really awesome to watch. Like I love watching people beat the game. It's like one of my favorite things um, just to see them go through the final stages and, and how they respond to that is, is really cool to watch. They must just collapse into happy, happy tears. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the guy I watched on our launch day, this one streamer had been playing it for 17 hours that day, and he'd, he'd, been, he'd been all set up, ready to go with top-level guys. And so the content on, you know, the Darkest Dungeon unlocked, and, and he went right into it. Finally, like in the middle of the night, you know, he, he beat the third out of the fourth mission, and uh, he's like, okay, guys, I got to go to bed. You know, that's it for me. Thanks so much for the stream. And everybody in the chat room was like, one more, you can do it. And, <laughs> and he stares at the camera. He's like, all right, if we're going to do this, I need more whiskey. And then he went, went and poured himself a drink and then and then beat the final boss and, and was, uh, you know, just kind of like shaking his head and smiling throughout the, the, the whole, you know, the encounter and the, and the cutscene afterwards. It was cool. I'm going to say that's probably been what the most rewarding part of the game so far for you personally. Yeah, I, for me, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm proud of, of how it, of how it wraps up. Um, and where and where it takes you in those final missions and but yeah i think watching people enjoy that is, is a high point for sure it's, it's hard to say if it's my absolute favorite i think just the fact that we got here and then we have a community and an audience and people who want to play it and people who want to watch people playing it that that to me is the highest point right yeah i think just the fact that there's like constant traffic about the game is exciting i mean twitch twitter posts places and you know it's just really fun to be able to go out on the internets and then see people talking about it and that you know, that, that doesn't really get, get very old. And, and now, you know, we're starting to see, well, you know, fan art or jokes or, you know, gifts that people make and that that's really fun. So I, I'm, 
it just makes it, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but sometimes you just sit there and you're like, oh yeah, this is our thing that we've been working on and you forget that it actually exists, you know? <laughs> and then when you see people you don't even know talking about it, it's, it reminds you that it's actually out there. Yeah, that's really awesome. Now, what, what would you say today? What, what does an average day look like at Red Hook Studios? Ah, <laughs> gosh, well... Anybody collapsing from heart attacks? Yeah, it, I mean, definitely. We worked ourselves pretty darn hard for a long time. And it's funny because we still have a bunch that we're doing under some deadline pressure right now again. And we're like, wait a second. I thought we were supposed to relieve some of this pressure. But, you know, we're right now we're a distributed team. We did have an office space for a while. But, you know, for the last, I don't know, last year or so, we've been ever, everyone's been working at home. So we, we use uh, Google Hangouts. We use Slack. You know, so we generally I mean, we work a regular workday um, plus <laughs> nights and weekends. But that's really important for us to all kind of like work at the same time because we we do need to coordinate a lot and stuff like that. So definitely using like internet coordination tools helps. But man, I mean, everyone's day is a bit different. I know like for Chris and I, it's always weird because there's a mix of administrative stuff that we do, but then also like, you know, we have to make the actual game. And so it can be really funny to be switching from conversations about, I don't know, some some aspect of like getting the game set up for launch. Um, and then also like, does this skeleton do enough stress damage, you know? <laughs> so I mean, yeah, like yesterday it was, you know, I got to get this stuff to the accounts. You got to talk to the bookkeeper. Should we look at doing something with the highwaymen? Yeah. Like, it's just the task list is so... <laughs> you know, all over the place. That's one of the parts of the job I love is just, it's hard to take yourself too seriously when, you know, part of your job involves like, how much damage does the pig vomit do? Or, you know, <laughs> or which diseases does the pig vomit cause? Can it cause any diseases? Or do I want to like, specifically, it can only cause a few of these diseases. And then rabies lets you increase your damage. But you know, what, what does it do to your accuracy? I mean, because it would be hard to control yourself with all these muscle spasms. And um, you know, so it's, especially as I get older and, you know, you're like, well, my career today involved designing pig vomit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny though, but that's, that's the great part about making games, I think. And we get in these crazy arguments, you know, and that if anyone else just listened to what we're, and we, we get intense about, it. I mean, it's, it may sound funny, but you know, we'll, we'll be arguing about just how much vomit the pig does and no, this will ruin the whole thing if we do it wrong. And <laughs> You know, everyone has their like really strong opinions and you get impassioned. And so, yeah, it's a funny business. We, we actually have a lot of creative people that listen to our show, writers, uh, people that possibly are interested in game design. So there may be people listening right now that also want to talk about pig vomit at their <laughs> yeah. day job one day. Uh, what would you suggest for for anyone that's uh, hoping to get into game design, what what kind of things should they do to prepare uh, for either tabletop games or or video games or whatever the case may be? What what can they do to to get into that industry? Make stuff. Yeah, I mean, like that's the biggest thing that I would advise any. You know, it's kind of like if you want to write. Um, I mean, yes, go out there and read some books on writing and definitely read and try to figure out what style of writing you want to do. And But there's just no substitute. I, I love the adage, ass plus chair equals writing. And, you know, game design wise, I think the biggest hurdle, you know, is, is kind of there's so many people that are game enthusiasts, you know, and you can talk intelligently about games and, you know, what makes you like a certain game. 
But that that's really very, very different from actually designing. And the best way to kind of get experience is just make stuff. And there's so many tools available now. And yeah, and it, even if you, you're not technically super proficient, you can prototype a board game without really, you know, much of that skill. So there's just no excuse for not making stuff. And, you know, for, for me, like if we had to staff up tomorrow and we're hiring young game designers or, or just, you know, inexperienced game designers, the first thing I would look at is, is like, what have you actually created? And it can be flawed and it can have, you know, things like that, but you just got to make stuff. Yeah, I'm actually making something now. And uh, I was on vacation and back in Mississippi and I was carrying all these like colored cards around <laughs> and everyone kept saying, what do you, why do you have those cards with you? I'm like, I'm making a card game and oh, then they cool. would go, and they would go, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, you Oh yeah. Those- <laughs> Very cool. Well, man, this has been a, a fascinating conversation just to delve deep into all that is darkest dungeon. Um, it's playable on steam, playable on good old games. Tyler and Chris, for folks who want to maybe track you down online, follow you on Twitter, could you give us maybe some where we can find you on social media? Sure. Uh, well, you can catch the game at uh, on Twitter at Darkest Dungeon and also at DarkestDungeon.com. And uh, I'm uh, Barassa Art at Twitter, on the Twitter. I have a really cool nickname. I'm at Tyler Sigman. Oh, sweet. <laughs> T-Y-L-E-R-S-I-G-M-A-N. I, I wish, yeah, I could go back in time and have something cool like Space Cowboy or... Uh, I don't know, man. I think you want to pig think about that. Pig vomit. I'll bet pig vomit is okay. <laughs> bet you can get yeah. the vomit Twitter handle right now. <laughs> and then any plans for a sequel? What's what's the next big project for Red Hook? Uh, well, I think like like Tyler kind of alluded to, we're sort of, uh, you know, we're, we're reeling a little bit right now. Just it was a superlative effort to get the game across the finish line and you know, then we're sort of trying to live up to those those promises that we made as far as Kickstarter content and add-ons and some DLC and bringing it to other platforms. Like uh, we're we're coming out for PlayStation Four and uh, Vita. Cool. You know, probably in the second quarter of this year. And um, nice. yeah, we definitely want to look towards expanding it over the course of the year. As far as the next project, I think one of the one of the great things about this game is that you know Tyler and I were friends for you know, years before this happened and you know we would get together and just talk and and the idea for the game came up anecdotally in conversation and it was something that we revisited time and time again and so by the time we were ready to go and actually devote ourselves full time to to Darkest Dungeon we both had a very clear idea of what the game needed to be what it was what it wasn't and and I would hate to rush that process just to get a second title out so I think you know our priority for for this year certainly is is you know growing darkest dungeon and, and bringing it out on other platforms and and just starting those organic conversations again I think I suppose the best thing our listeners can do right now then is to go to Steam go to good old games download that game and play the shit out of it <laughs> and and we've got awesome people like Chris Barassa and Tyler Sigmund um, at the desk making sure that this is the best fucking game possible. And I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And gentlemen, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for taking the time and hanging out on the Grim Tidings podcast. It's been awesome. Amen. Thank you. You've been listening to the Grim Tidings podcast. Find us on Facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings podcast or on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. Download on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you like the show, please share it and leave a review. Be sure to tune in next week for our 50th episode, special interview with Lord Grimdark himself, Joe Abercrombie. Thanks again for listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Horns.
podcasting.